on overcoming the power of sin and uh, take your questions at the end. Does anyone remember what we said last week as we defined sanctification? Separation. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> the doctor is speaking tonight. Set apart. <laughs> Pardon me? Set apart. Anyone else? Dedication. Did I hear dedication? Good. Good. Okay. Uh, what clear distinction are we trying to make uh, in defining sanctification? There was one very important point we tried to make. Yes, in the back. Did you raise up your hand, man? Oh, no? Okay. Yes. Oh, oh no. Oh. Mother, I'm sorry. It's a sovereign act of God. It's a sovereign act of God, okay. Something else that was very important in defining and understanding sanctification. It's a process, okay, that's good. What else did you say there, Dr. Humubiko? About the sin. It's not about the sin, okay? Right. What is it about then if it's not about the sin? No, you know when you talked about like uh, setting, up, setting apart the uh, mountains and stuff like that, just basically is not. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll give you a pass mark on that. We'll give you a pass mark. Fred, <laughs> <laughs> you had something? Part of the definition or part of the answer to Brother Greg's question, but okay. you were going to say, I know you said it was a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Okay. I, I think I know where you're going with that. Okay. All right. You make a choice. Is that it? All right. All of you guys were pretty much in the ballpark. Oh, my friend. Bembe, you got something for me tonight? Praise God. You know, out of the mouth of babes, God has perfected praise. So don't ever underestimate any of these young people. they got something they have to say, and we must allow them to say it. Amen. Okay. All right. Let's just move forward tonight. Yes, last week we basically began to define sanctification, and we said it is very important to understand the correct biblical understanding of that terminology. Because if you don't have proper understanding of the terminology, you arrive at the wrong conclusion. In the scriptures, and I'm not going to go to, the, to those verses now, we saw that a day was sanctified, Genesis chapter 2. We saw in the scriptures that a mountain was sanctified, Exodus, I believe, chapter 19, yes. And then we saw that a mountain was also sanctified, Exodus 29. And then we saw that uh, uh, the tabernacle and all of its furnishings were also sanctified. And the point we made, which I want to make again in moving forward tonight, is by definition, we know the day, the mountain, the building, and the tabernacle in being sanctified simply meant they were set apart for God. Okay? And as a result of being set apart for God, they maintained the integrity of what they were called to be. In fact, you know, we left here last, uh, last Wednesday night. It's very interesting. We ended on a note, and I kept on thinking about, about that note as I went home, which, which I'm going to say in a minute, which is very interesting. Because you and I 
as we're going to see in a minute, have been sanctified positionally, set apart by God. If we truly imbibe all of what that means and truly allow that thought to permeate our thinking, it is not rocket science. It will change the way you live. Good example. We said it last Wednesday, but think about it. We've been in this building for five years. I have never seen anybody here smoke inside this building. I know believers that smoke. I know when I hug them, I can smell the uh, this tobacco in their breath. Right here in this church. Oh, yes. God forbid, we will not search your pocketbooks now. There may be Marlboro <laughs> or Benson and Hinges in your bags. Or something else. <laughs> or something else. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> no, seriously. But I have never for once seen any human being come to this building or any other building that I'm aware of for that matter that is called a church or a sacred house of God and light up a cigarette. Why would they not do it? Pardon me, Pastor? They feel the building is set apart. So even the vilest of sinners understands that because the building per se is set aside, because of that thinking and understanding, you don't have to put a sign at the door, no smoking. They simply don't do it. They will not bring their liquor bottles into the sanctuary. I won't want to go into your cars now and check your cars. We may find a few fits <laughs> in a brown bag. <laughs> no, but seriously. But, but do you understand what I'm trying to say to us? Listen, the understanding of what we're talking about tonight changes your lifestyle. When you fully, truly understand that God has set you apart for a holy purpose. You don't have to strive to be a holy purpose or rather to be a holy person. The fact that God has done some work in you and set you aside and you understand that, it changes your outlook. Amen. It changes it. And because your outlook changes on life, you are more prone to sinning. No, I'm sorry. You are less prone. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I just want to make sure you guys are listening. <laughs> you are less prone to sinning. Just on autopilot, without any striving, without you thinking about it, because that's who you are. A dog does not have to think about barking. It's automatic. A bird does not have to strive about flying. That's who they are. They fly. Now, with that thought, one, First Corinthians. Let's just dive in. First Corinthians. Do you guys understand that part? That's life-changing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Let me just stop there. That one verse is enough. Now, other translations in that verse too, many, many other translations, 
instead of saying called to be saints, many other translations simply say called saints. Some other says called as saints, not called to be. In fact, in my Bible, to be there actually is in uh, italics, which means the translator just felt, you know what, we need to add this. So this is the idea. This is the idea that Paul is trying to say to us. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints. Huge. Okay? Because, now, 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 the reason this is important is, you and I now are a little more familiar with the Corinthian church. Were there any human beings in that church that were less than ideal? (laughs) A ton of them. And yet, when he wrote this letter to them, he did not make a distinction that, okay, I'm talking to you special, elect, highly spiritual, very, very matured believers. For all of them, he says, you are sanctified, set apart, and all of you are saints. Yes. He's not qualifying their sainthood on the basis of their behavior. It's are you, are, you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not advocating a lifestyle of sin. And you're going to see as we move forward in this thing. I'm just trying to establish a background from which we build. Now, so, we suppose thinking concerning the Corinthian church. Now, the reason this is important is because once we can define ourselves by our purpose, that purpose ultimately defines or determines her behavior. Once you know who you are, you will not give yourself as slaves unto sin. Once you can settle the identity issue, who you are, whose you are, what reasons or what reason were you set apart for? Once you can set to that, you are on your way to living a life of victory. Amen? Now, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 2. This Peter speaking here. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So basically here, what we see here is, we have all the members of the Trinity involved in your sanctification. The Father planned it. It was made possible through the sprinkling of the blood of the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit today administers it. Amen? Now, quickly, now let's just go now to the process of our sanctification. Number one. Three processes here. Number one, or three stages, if you will. The first one is our positional sanctification. This is the act by which God sets apart 
every saved, born-again person, God sets you apart. It is the first step in the experience of the believer. Amen? This positional. I mean, again, just to make the point, in Jude verse 1, Jude refers to sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. So every born again believer had been regenerated, being born again. God imputes to you what we call a positional sanctification. It's a sovereign act of God. You had nothing to do with it. Okay? Now, Let's read one more scripture. First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12. Now this is just the first stage of our sanctification. First Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So again, Paul is emphasizing that all of them were baptized into the body. And I'm emphasizing the point that your behavior does not alter your position in the body. So your position of sanctification was a sovereign act of God that God imputed unto you upon being born again. But there's a second stage. And this is where you and I have to cooperate with the inworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's called the experiential or practical sanctification. So positionally, God has done it it was done when Jesus shed his blood and I received and accepted and believed upon the finished work of Christ. However, Paul tells us that you and I must walk our salvation with trembling and fear. Now, let me define that. That's not walk as in trying to earn God's favor for the salvation or even sanctification. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. This is so important. A few weeks ago, we did the teaching on a laboring to enter into rest. This is where this becomes very critical. For you and I to see the practical manifestation of being like Jesus, growing up in him, you have to labor into rest. By that, I'm not saying you're doing any works of your own. No, what I'm saying is, no matter what's happening in your human experience, you're going to have to say to yourself, no matter what you are seeing, this person died. Yes, sir. I mean, I'm a new creation. Yes. What just happened, what I just saw, what I just experienced, what I just did, is an aberration. That's not the part of the plan. Jesus died for that. Therefore, that is not me. Everything around you will try to remind you of that shortcoming, that failure, 
whatever that misstep is, but you must constantly remind yourself that is under the blood. You are a new creation. Jesus has paid the price in full for it. He has given you the empowerment of the spirit to live above that situation under circumstance. And that you are, not, you are never going back there. You have to trust God for that. You have to believe that. So your practical sanctification, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 talks about how uh, follow all men with peace and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So practical sanctification is a matter of a believer's choice. That's what faith was talking about. Let's go to second. Is it second Timothy? Yeah, second Timothy. Chapter. Chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Okay, look at what it says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from a ladder, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay? So now, if you read this and you don't know the rest of the scriptures, this will almost seem to imply that if anyone cleanses himself from the, from the ladder, you'll be a vessel of honor that your cleansing alone is what guarantees your sanctification. No, remember, you are sanctified at your salvation, positionally. But on a daily basis, you have to work out what is already on the inside of you. And in that working out, you have choices to make. The Holy Spirit will clearly tell you what to do, but it's up to you to do it. This is where our choice gets involved in your overcoming the power of sin. And from looking at this scripture in verse 22, it says, flee youthful lust. Is God going to flee it for you? You have to do the fleeing. <laughs> you have to get out of there. You have to guard what you are hearing, what you are saying. God gives you the wisdom, but it's going to be up to you to take the necessary action to make sure you guard yourself and flee. Good example of that is what? Joseph. Joseph. He could have sat down there with Potiphar and said, oh, wow, looking at the naked woman won't hurt me. I've prayed, I'm fasted, I'm full of the word. I can look at Potiphar's wife all day long, naked. He won't do anything to me. We'll see. Keep, keep, sit down there and keep on looking. <laughs> Solomon thought the same thing and find out later, I said, wait a minute. <laughs> no one can put fire in his bosom without getting burned. He found out very quickly that the best remedy is to flee. So these are the practical ways in which you and I, empowered by the Spirit of God, can live above this kind of sinful lifestyle. Flee youthful loss, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate 
strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and on and on and on and on it goes. So, we have positional sanctification. God does all of that for us. Uh, but then we also have practical sanctification, which means you and I now must cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God that's in us to safeguard what God has already done. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in their present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, we see here uh, that truly, for those that really embrace the grace message, it's not a license and occasion to sin. But definitely understanding that grace enables you to live the life that God left us here to live and to believe and trust God for that and nothing short of that. Amen? Amen. That is my experience. That is my experience even now. And that's what I'm trusting for for all of us in this house. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Practical sanctification. Romans 12. I beseech you brethren by the masses of God. Now, isn't that amazing? He just didn't beseech you. He quickly put in parenthesis there, by the masses of God. Because apart from God's mercy, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the masses of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy or set apart acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul is giving us here all these uh, means through which you and I can practically be sanctified or live a sanctified life. Amen? Third process here. So we have positional sanctification, we have practical sanctification, and the third one is what we can call it perfect sanctification, or another term for that would be glorification. Positional sanctification is all of God. Practical sanctification is God and man. Perfect sanctification or glorification is all God again. That is at the point when you see Jesus face to face. And the Bible guarantees you'll be just like him. <laughs> How is he going to do it? I don't know. But I believe it. I believe it. You're going to be just as he is. I mean, think about it. In Genesis, the Bible says he made me and you in his own image and likeness. 
image. I have a spirit. I'm a spirit. I, live, I have a soul and I live in a body. That's the image of God. Spirit, soul, and body. But also in his likeness. In other words, there's an expectation at some point I'll be like him. Action-wise or behavior-wise. I can't just be his image and be like him. At some point, I have to be like him. And that's what he's working at. It's doable. It's possible. It's already been done. It's paid for. We just have to have our mindset in a way to know that it is attainable. There is no reason why any believer that's born again filled with the spirit of God to be overcome by sin. Wow. I mean, people just looked at me like, what did you just say? <laughs> Listen, it is tough for a believer to live like Christ if you try to live back like him. But that's not the issue. That's not what Paul said. Rather, he wants to live through us. It's a totally different story. It's a different story. I'm not striving to be like him. I'm just mindful that I am set apart. I am not just an ordinary person. I am God's holy possession. Yes. And the constant reminder of who I am and whose I am determines where I go, who I go with, what I do when I get there, what I say, yes, what I don't sir. say. It changes all of it. It makes it so simple. Yes, sir. Now, does that mean that a person that's living like that will not get into sin or make mistakes or come short? No. Sanctification is not talking about blamelessness. Oh, wow. Paul himself got so angry, he said, John Mark, get back home. No, it doesn't mean that. The reason is it's a process. It's a process. We are gradually, continually, progressively being made like him. It's a journey. It's a journey. But there's no way a man or a woman will have the spirit of God and miss it and don't say, man, I miss that. I don't want that to happen again. God, help me. So that, that does not, if you are truly born again. And I think Romans chapter 8 says that anyone that's born again must have the spirit of God. Amen? Amen? Any questions? Next Wednesday, we're going to go through the actual process of how do I, I know about positional sanctification, I know about practical sanctification, how do I now really operate in the practical sanctification? If I get into that now, I need a whole teaching class to, to deal with that. That's when we start addressing Romans chapter 6, specifically. And what do you need to have? What do you need to know in order to be able to operate in what we just talked about in practical sanctification? But it's doable. Any questions? Or comments? Yes. If by some some magical 
<laughs> if by some way yes you are not born again okay somehow okay and you happen to be all of the above now please define that what do you mean all of the above which means you are too good yeah i mean you were just born good you are you are kind, loving. Um, I mean, just <laughs> everything that you can think of, almost as perfect as Christ. I'm not born again. I'm not born again. Okay. Will apparently you must have been sanctified. I might be wrong. But if that be the case, not being born again, what happens to you? I think the Bible is very clear about that, correct? The Bible says very clearly there's none that is good. No, not one. Yes, no I one. said almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> almost counts. That's why, we are, that's why we are progressing. It counts. Yeah. You cannot, you cannot live the life apart from the Spirit of God. And it takes the Holy Spirit indwelling a person to, to bring into reality the finished work of Christ. Now, I think I know what it's referring to. There are some people that seem to be philanthropists, uh, good-natured people, even if they're not born again. Uh, they, they are reliable, dependable, they seem to demonstrate uh, the niceties of uh, life and yes, they don't get in trouble. Yes, and all that. Yeah, unfortunately, they're still, they're still missing it. The only, the only way anyone can please God is through his son, by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is, it's, it's not asking me to please God because I'm good, I'm nice. has nothing to do with that. Okay? And to please God, number one, it has to be by faith. No, but more importantly, it's a work of grace. It has nothing to do with how good I am or how bad I am. That's what makes this thing a leveler. Yes. It levels everything. Yeah, because can you imagine if it's just only for those that are good? For some of us, we won't, we won't enter the kingdom on the 2050. I mean, they, they almost just shut the doors of heaven and say, oh, you just make it by the skin of your nose because you are too bad. But it's by God's grace. It's unconditional love for all mankind. And if you just believe that he loves you and that Jesus, in fact, went on that cross to pay the price for my penalty of my sins and just believe that, that is all, that's the only thing God is looking for. You know what? You know. You know what? What's amazing? What, I don't know if I want to go there tonight. I don't know if anybody has any other question. Who? Bembe? Hey! Who <laughs> has another question for me tonight? You know. But but as I think, as I think about God, and we look at what God is doing, you look at this little country in the Middle East, Israel. In spite of all the opposition. I mean, this guy live among 
hostile nations. We had 9-11, 2001, we are crying about Al-Qaeda. They get it every day in Israel. Every day. But you know the amazing thing? And I'm not saying or implying that those guys, the Jews, are born again and they'll go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying to you is to show you how faithful God is to his covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. I will make you a great nation. And in spite of what those guys are doing or not doing, in spite of their rejection of God, he kept his word. He kept his word. Jews don't believe on Jesus. The traditional Jews do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not saying they're going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking to you about how the, the agreement that God had with Abraham for the nation of Israel in spite of despite their unbelief, he honors it. Where does that end them? <laughs> For those of them that don't believe this, they're going to go where everybody else goes. Straight to hell. <laughs> I don't want to say it like that. But if you read Romans 11, Paul says that at the end, that Israel shall be saved. Yeah. Now, to, to the unbelieving Jews, there's, there's, it's the same thing like everybody else. But I guess we, we can't get into all of that eschatology now. There will be a time when the Jews will be open and accept the gospel. That's what that implies. But the point I'm trying to make now, for right now, is in spite of their unfaithfulness to God, in spite of their rejection of who God is, God protects them, God preserves them, God allows them to remain an entity in spite of everything else. Not because of them. That's, that's the point I'm making. In spite of them. Because if God looked at them, their unbelief, and all the other, they should have been destroyed. So I guess I'm just trying to see, help us understand how faithful God is. He sanctified you, set you apart. You don't think God, who did that for you, will keep you? If he did that for Israel, unbelieving Israel, in a covenant that he cut in Genesis chapter 12, ah, my goodness. <laughs> it's incredible. He made a promise to Abraham. He will not go back on it. Of course, that promise, remember, was before the law. So we need to make that distinction. Okay, anybody else? Maybe, <laughs> of course. Maybe. <laughs> Give him the mic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you said about You've never seen anybody smoke in this church. What if they do it at home? <laughs> I'm sure many of them are doing it at home. The point I'm making is they have enough sense to understand that the sanctuary is dedicated to God and therefore they don't smoke in the sanctuary. But if those same people would just reckon that their body is the temple of God, the sanctuary of God, it should help them connect the dots to where they just don't honor a building of bricks and wall, they should honor their own body. Yes. Because the Bible clearly says, we 
are the temple of God, not these bricks, but human beings. So without understanding, we should not want to defile our bodies. <laughs> Questions, sir? Yes. Um, in, light, in light of uh, our discussion so far, Yes. Um, how would you address this uh, scripture? I mean, your comment on the scripture. This yeah. is uh, First John chapter three, uh, verse verse nine. It says that those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. The B part of that says they can't sin because they are born from God. Now, I know you said that a sanctification does not mean sinlessness. Yes. It doesn't mean sinlessness. Yes. In other words, we can sometimes make wrong choices. Correct. But John says here that not just practicing sin, as a believer, we will not practice it. But it's a can't. In other words, it is impossible for those that are born of God to sin. Impossible. Um, that scripture um, is one of the problem scriptures, <laughs> I would say. But... Um, how is it not possible for a sanctified person, set apart, um, you're a believer, how is it not possible for you to sin? Hmm. That same John, though, yes. I think 1 John chapter 2, said, it made it clear that we all actually do sin. And if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Do you, are you familiar with that passage? Yes. yes. Why, why did you not read that one first? <laughs> no, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> why, why are you going to answer that? No, I wasn't. Oh. I think you answered that. No, no, I didn't answer it yet. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Well, what I wanted to interject <laughs> there is, okay. if you go back to Genesis, yes. when God created Adam and Eve, now, they were created by God. He blew his breath of life in him, in <laughs> them, and they were filled with his spirit. But they yet, Eve sinned. Think about it. So, what I'm saying, even though sin was abiding in, in Eve, I believe Adam and Eve, they had the positional uh, sanctification, but because they didn't do the the sanctification of working it out, they were still vulnerable to sin. Sin was created in birth through Eve. That was actually created by God. So, so to go back to say your to your question that even we that are born of God. Uh, can't sin. I, I don't think we're. I think there's got to be a different level of 
<laughs> something going on there about this word sin. Sinning against God, sin against yourself, or whatever. Eve sinned against God because she disobeyed, right? Okay. So that, that ties in with what I don't know if I explained it or made it worse, but I believe that up until we get to the glorification of God, then we are no longer without sin. <laughs> I, I, I think that scripture is saying something else, but, but let, let me get some more. Dr. Pastor Charles. Oh, mommy. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Amplified okay. says, no one born, okay. begotten of God, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature abides in him. His principle of life, the divine sperm, remains permanently within him and cannot practice sinning because he's born of God. Okay. Yes. Yes. The principle of hermeneutics is that you interpret scripture in the light of scripture, right? Yes. If, if you read that scripture in the context of all of John's writings, if you go to First uh, John 2, he says this, 2 verse 1, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Then we, we get to uh, the verse of scripture you read in 8 and 9, and then we jump over to 10, where he talks about again. In this, the children of God and the children of the world are manifest. Who does, whoever does not practice righteousness. So it gives credence to the, to the, um, to the um, assertion that John is here talking about a practice of sin as a lifestyle, a continual practice. Because to do that, you have to ignore the conviction of the spirit that is driving you every time. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. If you have a habit of ignoring the spirit of God in you, then you have a practice that is inconsistent with the confession of your faith. Amen. Pastor Mike has something here. Good contributions. Yeah, I think in addition to what the last speaker has just said, uh, the verse 9, either B or C part, the part that says he cannot sin should not be taken in isolation, but is actually a continuation of a discourse. And that's why you either take it from verse 7 that talks about practicing of righteousness, and it continues and it goes further to verse 19. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. And it's still in this continuation, that's comma, that he says, for he sees remains in him, semicolon, and continues, and he cannot sin. <laughs> so you cannot take, he cannot sin separately as, as an act or as a statement that he cannot sin. Because when you take it separately as a statement, cannot say, then it simply means it cannot, not a matter of practice, that yeah. it can never happen. Yeah. But that is not what the scripture is saying here. Yeah. What he's saying here is the continuation of what he has begun. 
that he cannot practice sin, he cannot continue in sin, he cannot live a lifestyle of sin, just like the amplified version actually explains. Okay, so he cannot sin. He's, he's born, is taken out of that, not to be taken separately, you know, as a final statement of it cannot. That's my contribution. Dr. Nafiak. Is it, is it possible <clears throat> that John may have been referring to the Spirit? Uh, because we are spirit, spirit beings. So body. Yes, we are spirit beings. Uh, we have a soul and we live in the body. And actually, Paul says that the principle of sin actually dwells in our bodies, in our members. So if our spirit a spirit cannot sin. Because the spirit man is recreated. Has been recreated. It's joined, joined with Christ. Yeah. That's why it says that we are in him, we are joined with him. So our spirit cannot sin. Yeah. But we can sin through our body. Yeah. Because the, you know, the principle of sin is in our members. Yeah. The residue. Yeah? The residue, if you yes. will. The principle of sin yeah. is in our members. Yeah. But the spirit that has been set apart, sanctified, joined with Christ, cannot sin. Lawrence this is, this yeah. is this what I think. Yeah. I, I, I think all of the contributions are, are valid. Um, but that would be the clearest explanation yes, sir. based on the, on the language. Uh, because at, at rebirth, our spirit man was definitely recreated. So when the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. Yes. I mean, my flesh didn't change. Yes, sir. Yeah. When I got born again, I'm still, I'm still dark. I didn't, become light. I didn't become Michael Jackson. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, 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 but your spirit man definitely became recreated. Lawrence, you have a question. You have a quizzical look on your face. What's, what's the challenge? Um, it, I was just confused when you said the spirit cannot sin. Are you saying a spiritual being cannot sin? Because that will contradict. No. Okay, that's what I was no. trying to no. make sure I understood. So what you're saying is, as my spirit right now, yeah. cannot sin. Yeah. Connected with God. When you are recreated, the spirit of God came into your human spirit and recreated it. And it's as complete and perfect from the day you are born again as it will ever be when you see Jesus Christ. Finished. However, the challenge now is for you to live out that experience through your soulish and earthly body. Okay. So. Oh, boy. I mean, I'm just asking. Okay, so in a sense, you're saying. If I, let's say, quote, unquote, if I don't carry that out, now my, now my spirit is going to hell. That, 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 no. no. Something's not right. So uh, I'm, not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not making sense. I'm missing something then. Because it, I mean, that, that's just, that would defeat, the, to me right now, as I'm thinking, that would defeat the purpose of me living that out. If I already know, oh, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. Regard, you, you see what I'm saying? That's like, so why would, why would I not, in a sense, be condemned to hell 
if I don't carry out those, if I don't change in the sense of lifestyle of sin or if I keep reacting and reliving in a sin. There's well, only a certain amount of grace that you have, if I'm not mistaken. Well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you, you just touched something that's a holy grail. Okay. What do you mean by a certain amount of grace? I mean, who, okay, gives, not, okay. who, who quantifies that grace? I, okay, I should have said that probably. But <laughs> no, but the point you're making is a good point. Yeah. In other well, words, if we know that our spirit man has been recreated, yeah. perfected, and I mean just perfected, then why, do, why are you trying to live like God? Why are you trying, is that what you're saying? Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Well, the, see, that's the point. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you truly have a God encounter at salvation, is to give you new desires, new uh, appetite, new view of life. That's why salvation is very important. It's not a mental ascent. People who truly have a God experience, they leave that altar changed. Absolutely. And I've given my, my example here. I mean, I own a nightclub. And nobody taught me about living in a nightclub. I didn't have any manual. Nobody ever preached about it to me. But the witness of the Holy Spirit in me says, Bank, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And that's how life changes. And you begin to see these changes. You're encouraged by the incremental changes in your life for good. And the Holy Spirit, his job is there to aid you, to help you, to assist you, to make you be like God. Yeah, it's very real. Do you understand that? <laughs> I totally get it. Okay, we, we, we're past our time here tonight. So come back next Wednesday and we're going to get into some practical things. And Dr. Norfolk will throw us some more curveballs. <laughs> and he knows the answer. <laughs> He's starting to dilate the conversation. You know. What did you say? <laughs> Praise God. But listen. God loves you. I want you to, I want you to leave this Amen. place tonight. I want you to have this overwhelming Amen. sense Amen. of God's love for you. Amen. He has plans for you. Amen. Good plans. Amen. Plans of peace and not of evil. Amen. To bring you to an expected end. You will not become shipwrecked. You will not miss the road. You will not miss your progress. God's grace is upon you for good. To change your life. To bless your life. To increase you in every way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father God, for loving us. We bless you tonight. We receive your love. We bless you for having loved us unconditionally. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Be our helper, our aid. Guide us. Lead us so we can live a life that will bless you. Thank you for us as we go home tonight. We receive Johnny Moses and we bless your name for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless all of you. Amen.